Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, uh, broadcasting from where are we at? Signature Sound. Yeah, Signature Sound. Signature Sound. Well, yeah, in, in uh, Kearney Mesa. In San Diego. Isn't and, it Kearney Mesa? Yeah, but it's part of San Diego. Oh. Uh, listening to Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, and uh, Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Hey, uh, thanks for tuning in. Next couple of hours, got a lot of things to discuss. How to improve your retirement income if you haven't saved, Alan. Okay. I think a lot of us could use a little help there. A little bit, a little bit. Um, and then, of course, we got our email questions, and you got a whole oh list boy. of things. I've got a lot of uh, stuff. I got a bunch of stuff to think about for year and tax planning. I want to talk a little bit about Social Security and some things that happened this last week. This what? Are the big raise? Yeah. Like the average, uh, the five. average beneficiary gets about five dollars. Five bucks. Five bucks. All because right. we got a what a point three percent raise. That's awful. Is uh, well, it's better than last year because last year, you zero. know what it was? It was zero. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> and 13, 14, 15, it was between one and two percent. So it hasn't been a lot lately, has it? Well, inflation hasn't it's been, really been low. Been there. Sure, we had one. We had two thousand twelve. It was about three and a quarter or so. But at ten and eleven, it was zero as well. So we haven't seen a lot of increases in Social Security the last several years, Joe. Well, a lot of people need that as income. Well, they do, and and uh, the average Social Security payment, um, if I could find it here, and I can't, yeah, I can, one thousand three hundred sixty per month in two thousand seventy. So that's a five dollar increase from. 2016. Uh, this is from the New York Times. Um, how to improve your retirement income if you haven't saved. Uh, among workers age 55 or higher and near in retirement, 48% have saved less than $100,000, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. Okay. A third have less than uh, 25000 So the savings shortfall means many Americans, right, um, will be basically living solely off of Social Security which replaces roughly about 30-some-odd percent of pre-retirement income for most. Yeah, give or take in, in that range. Um, so people got to play a little catch-up, right? So Michael Kitches was interviewed in this article. Okay. And so what he's encouraging clients facing shortfalls is not to give up on savings because that happens quite a bit, right? You get this sense of... You know, forget about it. Yeah, it's like uh, it, there's, I'm, it's hopeless. So why even try? Yeah, right. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to work until I drop. Right. He recommends creating a household budget while the children are still in the household payroll uh, that tracks child-related spending specifically. That can help people relocate their spending to retirement savings once their children are out of the house. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good advice. Because I think a lot of times what happens is that, let's say if you have kids on your payroll, Al, which you still do. Uh, they're pretty much off now. <laughs> well, they're 40. Well, no, not really. 24 and 26. They're actually both officially off the payroll, except for Ryan's cell phone. <laughs> See, I knew it. There it comes. <laughs> Robbie's paying for his own. Uh, and, and, of course, I got Ryan on my health insurance. And, you know, that's through uh, 25. But, so let's say there's other things that you're spending on, right? Yeah. And then if you track that and say, all right, well, once the kids are off, I'm going to redirect those 
to my retirement savings. Sure. But a lot of people don't because, and it's funny, the more that people make too, guess what? The more that they spend. Yeah, that's it's true. It's funny that way. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And then uh, Mr. Kitches usually suggests maximizing saving contributions in workplace 401ks that offer an incentive tax deferral in employee matches or an IRA. Savers over the age of 50 can do the catch-up, right? So $1,000 for your IRA, Roth IRAs. Uh, make it 6500 bucks for your 401ks, or your IRAs are 6500 bucks, and then 6000 catch up for your uh, 401ks. Yeah, so you can do 24000 in a 401k. That's pretty good. So then delay Social Security is another thing. So you work a little bit longer, right? So now the kids are off your payroll. You redirected those spendings to your savings, trying to max out your plans. Right. And then maybe wait a little bit to file for your Social Security. Now, let me clarify a couple of things that we talked about last week, because I got a couple of emails on it, and we only spent a couple of minutes. Right. Um, but this whole new law change that happened with Social Security last year when it comes to restricted application and file and suspend. So let me go through this. Is that if you turn 62 years of age after, what, December 31st of 2015, um, you are still eligible for a restricted application. What a restricted application means is that you can file a restricted application and not take your Social Security benefits. You would claim the spousal benefit. And, of course, this only works if, if you're married. Sure. Right. So you say, all right, I do not want to take my benefit. I would rather take the spousal benefit. And you could take that benefit as early as 62. All right. But if you do take it at 62, so let's assume that my spouse's benefit is $1,000. All right. So my spousal benefit is 1000 So if I wait until my full retirement age and file that restricted application, I could take the spousal benefit at the full $1,000 level. All right. If I wait till 66, 67, 68, 69, 70 to take the spousal benefit, it's still going to be $1,000. I don't get an increase there. But I will get a decrease in benefit if I take that spousal benefit prior to age 66. Got it. All right. So you will re receive a reduction. If I take it at age 62, I would receive, instead of 50% of the benefit, it's like 35% of the spousal benefit. So I know none of that made sense, so I'm going to make it crystal clear. I was going to try to clarify, but go ahead. There's, there's two different benefits that you can claim in Social Security if you're married. You can claim your own, or you can claim the spousal benefit. The spousal benefit represents 50% of your spouse's benefit. So if your spouse's benefit is $2,000, 50% of that is $1,000. You get the full benefit, the full spousal benefit, at full retirement age. Okay, which is currently 66. 66. If you decide to take it as early as 62, you will not receive the full 50% benefit. You would receive 35% of that benefit. So yeah. you would receive a reduction, and that's a permanent so, reduction. So about $700 in that example. Correct. Right. So the best course of action to take is always wait till full retirement age, because if you take it at 62, then you permanently lock in a, um, a haircut and it might defeat the purpose. Because if you take that haircut, in most cases, what I've seen is that their own benefit is probably higher than the 35 percent benefit sure. that they would receive unless they don't have any quarters. Yeah. Right. 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 Any uh, their 40 quarters or 10 years. So let's be clear on this, Joe. Uh, so if you take the spousal benefit, which is one half of your spouse's benefit uh, it, it, at full retirement age, if you take it early and say it's at 62, so you get 35 percent of the spouse's benefit. Can you later switch to your own benefit or are you locked in on that spousal? 
benefit. No, yeah, you can always switch back to your own benefit. Uh, but how it works is this, is that if I take a reduced benefit on the spousal, all right, and then I say, all right, well, here, I'm, I'm going to take the restricted application and sure. I'm not going to take mine, right, and then I flip mine on, I will still receive a reduction in my own benefit because I took it early. So later on, right? Correct. So, so if, as a spouse, if I, if I take the spousal benefit at age 66, then I can switch to my own benefit when I'm 70 and there is no reduction. I would, but, I would receive an 8% right. increase. Even if I did take it early, I would still get that 8% delayed retirement credit, yeah. right? But I'm not yeah. going to receive the full maximum benefit that I otherwise would have received if I took it at age 66. Right. 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 No, I understand. Well, but if I took the spousal at age 66, I can, Right. I, if I take the spousal... So now we're getting all confused here. <laughs> just... Here, just call us. <laughs> take it at full retirement age. If you take it early, you receive a reduction. Now, if you flip your benefit back on and wait till age 70, your benefit still accrues, right? But right. you're not going to get the maximum benefit because you took the spouse benefit early, and it's going to have a reflection on your own benefit. How many... There's like, what, 256 ways to take Social Security? 520. I, I mean, 500. 5,000. Yeah. 5, <laughs> Ten thousand. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it. The point of the discussion was, I got a question. Is like, well, Joe, if my spouse takes the sp- a restricted application at age sixty-two, does she still receive fifty percent of the benefit? The answer is no. The answer is she would receive thirty-five percent of that um, spousal benefit. And that's a sliding scale. If she takes it at you got at it sixty-three or sixty-four, whatever. Right. Then yeah. it increases at sure. six. I don't know what the numbers are right. exactly. Sure. Sixty-three, it's probably thirty-seven percent. Yeah, Sixty-four, like you're probably at forty-two percent. Right. Right. Sixty-five, you're at forty-seven percent, and it's. I, I'm guessing here, yeah. but that's probably so, something along something those along those lines. Got it. Something along those lines. Um, so deferring Social Security. All right. So going back here, back on track, is that all right? Well, if you're a little bit behind the eight ball, right? And if you have kids, what, one of the advice here through this article is that you want to just monitor those those spending's what you're doing for your kids sure. and then redirect those into your retirement savings once they're off your what, payroll. Yeah, and but a lot of kids never get off the payroll. Right. That's and then you problem. then you look at maximizing your retirement accounts plus your catch up delaying um, in deferring Social Security as long as you can. Um, and then we'll talk about the impact of that, because just a couple of years of deferring um, your Social Security, deferring your, your overall retirement, that means added savings for those two years. That means more benefit for you on your Social Security benefit. And then that means a couple of years of you not tapping into the overall accounts. Actually, if you do the math, adds up to significant more um, dollars, of course, but it, it pushes out your retirement spending for a, a lot more years than you might think. So i got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson, Big Al, hanging out here in, uh, we're in this little studio. Didn't like, oh, like Judas Priest, didn't they tape here? It's probably the same studio. So huh? It was probably, was yeah, probably right here. It's only famous people get to come to this one. Yeah. Anyway, Joe, when we're talking Social Security, and, and we often talk about taking Social Security later. Uh, you can The full retirement age right now is age 66, and uh, but you can delay it as late as age 70. And every year, every month that you delay it, you get an increased amount uh, per month. And just to give you an idea, if you take your full retirement benefit at age 66, and let's say it's $2,000. If you wait until age 70, it's 2,640 approximately. 
But you could also take it early. You could take it as early as 62, and then it's only $1,500. So let's think about this. If I take it at 62, $1,500. If I wait till 70, it's 2,640. That's an increase of about 76%. And that's a really good deal for a lot of you because why? Because we're living longer. The Social Security actuarial tables were actually designed in the 1980s, and since then we're living longer. So if you if you look at us collectively, it makes sense to wait. Now individually is a whole different matter, joke. And so even though usually we try to tell people to wait until they're 70, there are situations when you should take it early, right? And one of them is when you're dying. One of one of them is yes, <laughs> you're disabled. Yeah, you're bad out. You know, you, you you can't work, right? And so you're already receiving social security disability. Now it's going to automatically switch over to regular social security. Your retirement. Benefit. Yeah, your retirement benefit at age 62. You don't have a lot of choice there. But another one, as you said, is you're sick, right? You're sick. In other words, if you don't think you're going to live to to life expectancy, you don't which, be- believe you're going to live till 63. <laughs> Take it at 62. <laughs> well, because the break even between 62 and 70 is probably 79, 80 in that range, right? So if you don't think you're going to make it that long, you might want to take it early. But probably one of the biggest ones is you need it. You need the money. Right. You don't have any other choice, take right? It. Go ahead and take it. If you don't need it, wait, because you're going to be much happier later on. But if I encourage people, if they ask, if they need it at 62, then I would say maybe if you can, of course, right. uh, continue to work. Sure, if because, you can, but uh, not everyone can, as we know. Right, you know. Um, but it, it, it can increase. Um, Al and I have run this, the, these numbers multiple times. Is that the combination, right, of minimizing the withdrawals from your overall investments, allowing for greater compounding for a couple of years, right? So you're yes. not taking distributions. You're pushing your so, retirement. So we're, we're working a couple of years longer, right? Okay. So it can add up to about thirty percent additional income. Yeah, that is amazing, and it, it all has to do with the compound. Three years. All it is is three, if you push it out for three Got years, it. it adds thirty percent more income. So it's it's a few different things, right? It's like I'm I'm delaying my retirement for three years. We'll add thirty percent more income, according to the study by Mr. Darwin. Darwin. Right? Oh yeah. D O R W I N. Darwin. Darwin. Yeah, different one. Darwin. Yes. So he calculates that a sixty-five-year-old couple with a combined income of one hundred fifty thousand dollars could bolster their retirement income by thirty percent if they work an additional three years, rather than retiring immediately as a result of higher Social Security benefits and drawdowns from a larger portfolio. Right. And of course, right, because if we retire three years later, that means then that's three less years that you're going to have to pull the money out potentially because you have... Certain right. life expectancy. L- yeah, the, your life expectancy. Although you could argue if you work three more years, you got more purpose and maybe you're going to live longer. Very true, Alan. <laughs> what else you got up your sleeve? I got another reason to take Social Security at 62. Okay. This is one we don't really think about that much. But, uh, yeah, let's, and you were just talking about it last segment, is is maybe, um, you know, the if no one's depending upon your benefits is, is the heading. If no one is planning on using your benefit after you're gone and you need the income, you don't want to drain your savings, uh, then don't wait to file. This is especially true if you're single or the lower earning half of a couple. So let's think about that. So the the couple that has less of a benefit. So what happens, we talked about the spousal benefit before. However, there's also a thing called the survivor benefit. So that means that uh, whoever survives the other one gets the higher benefit. So it's really important in, in, in many cases, if not most cases, that the higher 
a wage earner that has the higher benefit waits as long as they can, maybe even out to age 70, because that's the benefit that no matter which one passes first, that will keep going on after that. And so it may not be as important for the, the spouse that has the lesser income. You can go ahead and maybe and, and take it. But if you need it, right, I'll still, I'll still do caveat on that. Well, I mean, it's always burden of hand, too. I mean, still, look at the studies, Al. What, 2% take it at 70? I know, and, and actually it's, it's getting a little bit better, Joe. Right now the, the latest study by Boston College Center for Retirement is saying about uh, a little bit more than 40% opt to take their benefits at 62, and that used to be even a little bit higher. Sure. But I will say about to half of those, about 20% claim early because, they're, um, because of health problems. Right. So, so that's, you know, you have health problems. You don't think you're going to live to the break-even point. And you need the money. And you're, if, if you have health problems, you may not be productive in terms of working and earning income. So in that case, yeah, take your benefits. You need it. But it, it, there's, it's much more than that. It's such a mental thing with individuals. Sure. Is that, uh, right, we, we see people that have millions, and they're taking their Social Security probably at the wrong time. Right. And but, then they're but, like, well, wait a minute. If, if I don't take my Social Security, then that means I have to draw more down from my portfolio. Sure. And I'm going to be in worse shape. And, and I'm going to be in a... a, a, yeah. a no. That. I mean, you're, you're looking so short-sighted. Right. Because you're getting that larger increase and you're living longer. You have a lot more money later that you're drawing less down later. Right. It's very true. And it's uh, it's one thing, though. I mean, we can say it. But when you see it in black and white, that the advantage of waiting in, 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 in true income and wealth down the road, it's, it can be fairly staggering. But uh, here's another thing, Joe. I mean, we get this question is, well, why should I wait? Because Social Security's they're going bust. Mm -hmm. I want to get my benefits while I can, right? So well, if you believe that, take it. What do you say? I mean, if you believe that, take, take it. I mean, there's no way that you can talk someone out of that. That's just a <laughs> mental belief. That Right. That's right. Like, you can say, hey, there's $2 trillion in the trust fund. Oh, it's all IOUs. Okay, well... <laughs> What? It's a big conspiracy. It, 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 right. And yeah. so, okay, well, if, 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 if that's what your belief system is, then, then take it as soon as you can get it. There's nothing that I can say. I, there's nothing that I can show you that's <laughs> going to change your mind. I'm going to have to, you know, walk you down a Capitol Hill and then, right. you know, no. So there's certain belief systems that you, you that just you, can't. Yeah, that it is what it is. <laughs> right. I, I, would, I would, and I agree with that. I'd add a couple things. One is the fix on Social Security to me isn't that difficult. Our politicians don't want to do it because it, it's, it's very political. It's, it's political. It's raising taxes. It's increasing the Social Security base in terms of the wages. Uh, it's increasing the retirement age. All these things can be done and have been done before and will be done again. But I think the bigger concern, and they're could be some validity in this, Joe, is will there be some means testing with Social Security? Probably. And so at a certain income level or asset level, will you will you get decreased benefits? And that, you know, we don't know. I mean, I, I actually just talked to the chairman of the bipartisan committee that came up with a proposal, 20 people, 20 bipartisan this summer, and they didn't make it means testing, but what they did was based upon your income, they made more of it taxable. So that's that was an approach to do that potentially. So then 100% of your Social Security is going to be yeah. taxable versus 85. Right. You still get the same benefit. Right. Though. And so th that's another thing that people have to take a look at. We talked about a little bit last week is that if you put different combinations to your overall retirement income strategy, that dollar can grow a little bit farther. Such as if I push that Social Security out, that means I have a larger benefit. But also here, uh, for those of you that are listening in California, the state of California does not tax that benefit. Plus the maximum amount that Social Security would be taxed is 85%. So you get 15% of it tax free. So if I'm looking at where, where do I go to my 401k or do I push out Social Security, it might make sense to take your um, 401k first because that's fully taxable. 
And then if I push my Social Security out, right, there's going to be a larger benefit and it's going to be more tax favored than my 401k. Right. So if you put taxes in the mix, right, then you know you can't just look at this stuff in a bubble. You have to look at a forward-looking tax strategy to make sure that you can do everything appropriately. Well, you do, Joe, and it's it's to me it's all about taking control over your taxes. I think so. And uh, because people don't realize they can, and Social Security is a way to do it because some of that's tax-free. And I bet you you're not getting this information from your advisor, but there's a way to do it. It's to have a forward-looking tax-efficient strategy. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson here, Certified Financial Planner. Alan Clopine, he's a CPA. Go to our website at purefinancial.com. Good information there, if I do say so myself. All you need is a computer and the internet access, and we are open 24 hours, seven days a week. It's not bad. Right there, right on the we old just, uh, started that, right? internet. Just shut her down at 5 o'clock on <laughs> We Friday. used to. We used to shut down the website. <laughs> we didn't know any better. Yeah, we thought we were supposed to. <laughs> oh, hey, someone turn that internet thing off again? <laughs> I, was, um, I was trying to check out your website over the weekend. Couldn't yeah. find it. Oh, you know, my, I think I might have, um, if I keel over, this morning. You got a little, what, a little stroke coming? Maybe. I worked out hard. Yeah, okay. And so I take this like pre-workout powder. Okay. And then a little, I, what's in the powder? I don't know. Have no idea. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I'm drinking a monster. Oh, boy. It's like, yeah. You got the, is your heart racing? Oh, just my whole left side is going numb, so. It's not good. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll continue on there. All right. Yeah. Just on with the show, please. Yeah. On with the show. The show must go on. The sh- yes, Regardless of what happens to you. <laughs> yes. Um, hey, you know what, Al? I want to get in because I have so many emails that we, we, we need to go through. Okay. We've got and, some good questions this week, huh? Yeah. If you ever have a question about anything that um, is on your mind in regards to personal finance, uh, you can email us at purefinancial.com. Okay. Um, a lot of good good questions here, so I'm going to dive in. Good. And I, and, I uh, 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 full disclosure, I have not seen these questions. Yeah, neither have I. I'm reading okay. them right now. All right, I just pulled this hot off the press here. Okay, all right, this is going to be interesting. Which annuity is better for a hands-on investor, Alan? That's okay. the title of the email. All right. My wife and I are in our early 60s. We plan uh, to retire in about three years. We are interested in a variable annuity for part of our retirement plan. Okay. We are considering um, a couple of different products here or a similar uh, Vanguard plan. So he's looking at Lifeguard, Freedom with Jackson, okay. or a similar Vanguard plan, which is better. Okay. We are hands-on investors. We will consider a managed portfolio when we are in our 80s. Oh, okay. And that's common, I think, for a lot of people that sure. like to do it themselves, yeah. is to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to manage my own portfolio, right? Um, because maybe I enjoy doing it. Right. Um, I have the know-how, the time, and everything else. But when I get my 80s... Yeah, I want someone else. To I want someone else to take care of it, because I might not be as quick as right. you know, in my 50s or 60s or, or 70s. Or maybe one spouse has an interest and the other doesn't. Correct. And so, you know, you got that issue, potentially. So, well, first of all... Um, well, let's, let's, let's explain what an annuity is. An annuity is simply 
giving generally an insurance company a lump sum of, of some sort, and you get a. It's like you buy your own pension, if you will. In other words, you get a payment stream for life, and there's there's all kinds of variations on that. But that that's kind of one of the. Yeah, well, I guess it, a little bit of, and then he he specifically said he wants to buy a variable. Right, annuity. understand. All right, so variable annuity. So here's how a variable annuity works: is that you put money into this product, and it's variable. So you can have mutual fund type accounts. They're called sub accounts. So if you want to buy large companies, small companies international companies they have a list of overall mutual fund type accounts inside the shell of yeah. the variable annuity. so you get to direct your own investment sure inside the annuity inside the annuity yeah uh, the annuity grows 100% tax deferred sure all right so if you put money into it you do not pay any taxes on the growth of that account until you start taking distributions right then all of the growth or the earnings in a variable annuity are taxed at ordinary income rates so you get the compound tax deferral um, and then when you pull the money out, it's um, then you have um, ordinary income. So if you have loss of market value within that variable annuity, right? Then you get a um, there's an insurance component in it. So let's say I put a hundred thousand dollars in a variable annuity, I invest it, and the market goes down in value, and so that hundred thousand is now worth seventy five thousand. Okay, I lose twenty five percent. And if I were to pass away, then the beneficiary of that variable annuity would receive the full hundred thousand. There's a guarantee at death right, in most cases. So there's like a life insurance. Right, there's a life insurance component in yeah. a variable annuity. All right, so that was kind of the old chassis or the old shells, and then they were like, okay, well, let's get some living benefits or guaranteed income benefit riders within the variable annuity. Got it. So now you can get a guaranteed income, as Al was saying, in this variable annuity, and I think that's probably what he might be looking for, she might be looking for, is that you put money into a variable annuity, and then they have in the contract that they will guarantee you a certain income or a certain rate um, uh, or a certain dollar figure for the rest of your life. So this is regardless of what the investment does. You have an income guarantee, which you have to pay for, right? It's yes, it's quite expensive. It too. is expensive, right? And um, in for example, um, how it would work is that, and and there's a lot of detail that I would suggest this individual read before they purchase a variable annuity. Variable annuities um, are very expensive, right? Because they are, if you have a guaranteed income benefit rider on it, um, you know, those aren't cheap because they're guaranteeing an income so, for so the rest the, of your life. So between the, the different riders that you pay for and the cost of the investments inside the portfolio, what would be like an average cost range? For uh, three variable? to 4%. Three to 4%, Yeah. right? And if you invest in the S&P 500 at Vanguard, it's probably point. Seven point eight percent. Oh no, it's point oh one percent. Yeah, it's low. In yeah. other words, right. And fees aren't everything, though. Of you course, know, there's such as this fee thing. Yeah, Jesus, there is. Right? I mean, it's we are fee conscious, and that's that. It is really important, though. But uh, just understand that a variable annuity is going to have very high internal costs. Which, but that's which, not why they're buying it. Who right. cares? It could cost them twenty percent per year. The the people are purchasing it for a guaranteed income, right? Right. Understand. So then you have to look at what is your internal rate of return. So that's what you got to compare, not necessarily the fees. What is your internal rate of return? Because that's, it's, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. So, so it's after fees and taxes. What are yeah. you actually receiving so from the your, product? Like your guaranteed rate of return relative to your investment over time and see how that all works out. Right. So, But what these products show you um, sound really good on the surface until you look at the or, or the internal rate of return. Then you can make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison to see if that's what you really want to do. For instance, that what they do is they have a, a, a roll-up rate of return. And then, so let's say, Al, you come into my office and you want to buy a, a variable annuity because you want a guaranteed income. 
So it's like, okay, Alan, you have $100,000 in this product. It will guarantee you 7%. So over 10 years, your $100,000 will to turn to $200,000. Okay, so I haven't, I haven't received any payments yet. Correct. Just let me finish. <laughs> So now just, you got a hundred thousand. Well, no, I mean just with any investment. If I have yeah. a seven percent rate of return, sure. right? That sounds pretty good. They'll guarantee you a seven percent rate of return. Yeah. So over ten years, your money will double. Okay. And then from there, if you want to turn on an income stream, then they'll guarantee you a certain percentage. Maybe it's five percent on the two hundred thousand, ten thousand dollars a year for the rest of your life. Okay. So that's kind of how the mechanics work in a real general sense. There's a lot of different flavors to this. Sure. But what happens is that it, what the annuity company is doing is that they're going to guarantee you an income for life. But you have to remember there's no free lunch, right? You are basically giving your money to the insurance company in return for a guaranteed income. So you have to look at, well, what what are they going to get out of it? Well, the insurance companies are pretty smart. They have really brilliant people that work for these companies and actuarial tables and everything else. That They're not in it to not make a profit. Okay. So they want to make a profit. And so how do they do that? You give them your money. They take that money and they invest it. It's just like a CD. You go to a bank and you get 0.5%. They're lending it out for 4.5%. Right? So 4% spread is how banks make their money in rough figures. The insurance companies do the same thing. They're going to take your money, they're going to invest it, and they're going to give you a certain rate of return on the flip side. But they have these teaser rates in a sense that we'll say 7%. Well, I can't get 7% guaranteed anywhere else. Well, that 7% is not a true rate a return, right? It's just a roll-up. It's an accounting ledger that they use to get to figure out what your guaranteed income is going to be. So now I'll go back to your math, Al, is that if I give this insurance company $100,000 and they guarantee me the 7%, so 10 years later I have 200000 and then because of that, it's like, okay, now I can take 5% of the 200000 or $10,000 per year. That 10000 will then carry over for the rest of my life. Sure. So it depends on how old you are when you do this, right? So let's say I'm 55 years old, 10 years later I'm 65. And then I take that $10,000 out for the rest of my life. If I live until age 85, well, I have my money within that insurance company for 30 years, but I get a guaranteed income until 85. I'll never outlive it. So what you have to do is you have to take a look at the present value of those future cash flows to figure out what your internal rate of return is. Right. And in most cases, it's 2%. It's low, isn't it? Right. And just in that example, you put in 100000 so the, in, the factor, as you say, is 200000 I haven't got any payments for 10 years, but then I receive 10000 a year. It takes me 10 years to basically get 100000 So I basically got my money back in 20 years. Right. So I don't really have a rate of return at that point. Correct. And right? then so thereafter, that's when your rate of return happens from year 20 on, yeah. okay? And, and this is a generic example. Yeah, you know, no, there's no, different there's, bells and there's, whistles, there's and of course, values and, yes. we're, we're, yeah, there's a little more We're to oversimplifying right. this, but I think where people fall into these um, traps, if you will, and I, I guess I'm not saying it's a trap, but they might not truly fully understand how the product works. Yeah, I think that's true. I bet a lot of advisors don't even really understand them that well. Well, no, and that's, I don't want to go down that path either, right? Because there's there's large commissions involved um, yeah, right. you know, within certain products. But the problem is, is that, all right, well, here, I like this product because of X, Y, and Z, but once they figure out exactly how the true mechanics work, they may not want to go down that path. Unless you're going to live a very, very long time. Then I would never recommend a variable annuity 
In most cases, I would never recommend a variable annuity. It would be an immediate annuity. Immediate annuity means you're going to give your money to an insurance company and immediately receive income. That is the cleanest way to get a guaranteed income stream. Now there's these QLACs, right? So then you can have these longevity annuities. Those are a little bit more cleaner. But these variable annuities, in my opinion, right, is that they're very high in cost and fees and how they are sold and positioned. Uh, most consumers or clients have really no clue of how they work. And so if uh, you have any questions, if you have a, a variable annuity and you're looking at how does this thing work or anything like that, you can um, always go to Waz Peer Financial Advisors. Uh, we are a fee-only registered investment advisor. We don't sell any products. There's never a commission generated uh, to our firm. And we uh, just give advice on all aspects of your overall financial life. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joey Anderson here, Big Al Clopine, hanging out. Thanks for tuning in. Not a big fan of annuities, are you there, Al? Just, you're trying to like do some underlying bashing in the industry. I, I'm not. I, although, I, I'll tell you, Joe, I mean, I can understand the appeal. Uh, I can understand the fact that, well, we don't know how long we're living, and, and you know, you give over a, a stack of money, and you get a lifetime earning stream. So I don't, I don't, I don't have any problem with that concept. It's just that I believe in many cases their um, products are being sold that are not fully understood by the consumers. And the DOL right now is um, fighting for this uh, fiduciary rule, which I guess what Trump's uh, doesn't necessarily want. The well, interestingly enough, Trump's uh, has, has a new advisor, uh, Anthony Scarmusi. He is um, uh, the managing director of Skybridge Capital, a hedge fund firm. They manage over $12 billion. Anyway, so I guess he's going to be one of the um, advisors to Trump, uh, especially if, uh, uh, I mean, he is right now as part of the um, team to try to help him get elected, but uh, he'll be an advisor if Trump wins. And he is saying uh, that he promises to get rid of the Department of Labor rule. And the Department of Labor rule, in case you haven't heard about it, is, is uh, I'll try to keep it simple. Basically, it's, it's this. Right now, an advisor that advises on retirement plans doesn't necessarily have to fall under the fiduciary standard, which means act in your best interest. An advisor that helps you with retirement plans um, just has to be what's, uh, what's called the suitability standard. And as long as the product is suitable for you, it may or may not be the best one for you, but it's, as long as it's suitable, they're allowed to sell it. Well, what's happening uh, is um, a lot of people are fighting this rule because it will be sort of a change in, um, in the way products are sold by advisors and, and maybe a change in the way that they're making money. And All right. Well, you got to look at it like this. Wall Street, what's their job? Their, their function is basically to package products, right? And then they have a sales force to sell them. And it just starts with an IPO. Right. So if we buy stocks, Wall Street does that, and then they take those stocks and then they package them up in either mutual funds. Then you can buy like unit investment trusts, closed end funds, maybe um, you know, and then you private placement. I mean, the list goes on and on on all these different products. Some are good, some are awful, right? And you know, sometimes with the the products that might have higher commissions, lack of liquidity, and little understanding on both the maybe the the, the broker and the client, they they understand very high level. Are we're getting sold these products? Sure, sure. And I think if you boil it down, uh, it goes on to say the measure requires financial advisors to act in the best interest of their clients in retirement accounts. Uh, and Anthony Scarmusi says this is an example of government overreach that would divert too much capital to low-cost ETFs and index funds. 
So that's that's what he says. And he would rather the money go to his hedge fund. His hedge fund, where sure. he can make big fees, right? <laughs> well, if you think about a hedge fund, hedge funds will cost you 2% plus 20% of the profit. Right. I mean, that's how hedge fund managers get paid. So if they're up 10%, they'll take 20% of the profit plus 2% annual fee. If they're down 20%, you still get the 2% annual fee taken out of the overall account. Right. He's comparing this um, DOL rule to the 1857 Supreme Court ruling, which held that African Americans were not U.S. citizens. It's about like the Dred Scott decision. I don't what? Know, I don't know how you compare that. It has nothing to do with that, even close to it. But he does say the left-leaning Department of Labor has made a decision to discriminate against a class of people who deem they're adding no value. So I guess that class is him, who's has. Very high. Well, hedge funds have awful performance. <laughs> they do. I mean, there's certain hedge funds that will perform, uh, right? But yeah. you need about fifty billion to, you know, have George Soros manage your money. <laughs> so he goes on. They are judging what should happen in a free market and attempting to put the financial advisors out of work. When market forces cyclically adjust again, they will be having congressional hearings about how big a mistake it was to do this. And. Let's go back, though. What, what are they doing? All they're trying to do is have the advisor helping you with your retirement plan act in your best interest. Right. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. That's what this is all about. And why people are fighting it is because it's changing their way of life. Sure. And a lot of insurance companies are suing the Department of Labor right now over this, which is it's a little bit mind-boggling for people like myself that uh, work for a fee-only financial planning firm and, and as a fiduciary anyway that uh, why there'd be so much... I mean, I think most people, Joe, think that the um, advisors always act in of course, their best interest, right. and that's not the case. Right. Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell the difference um, and, and, until you s- sit down and meet with them, and then sure. they, and you can dive in, and all of a sudden, if they're like asking you... F- Fairly intelligent questions about you know your life goals and what you're trying to accomplish. Looking at your tax return, your investment statements, your estate plan, and everything in between to see how all of this works together in a, in in conjunction to a well thought out strategy. Then you're like, okay. Versus, hey, can I see your investment statements? Oh, well, you should you should get into this instead. You know that you're probably dealing with a, a product salesman. Right. Um, we don't sell any products at our firm. That's the basis of why we're called pure financial advisors. We want to just give pure financial advice. I think more and more people need that. And we were a little bit ahead of the curve. Everyone that worked at our firm, uh, works at our firm, is a fiduciary. We set it up strictly for that in 2007. Right now, this is coming out in 2017. So 10 years. You know, before is that we felt that this is where the industry needs to change to, and we're pretty excited about the rule because right. of all the different planning that people need. Well, I think so too, Joe. And and uh, I'll tell you, when it comes to retirement accounts, one of the things that is often overlooked is is the taxes that you'll pay out of the out of your retirement accounts. And uh, boy, I mean to. Have someone in your corner that understands the tax law that's acting in your best interest because I think that's the best way to go because taxes don't stop when your paycheck does. When you start tapping your retirement nest egg, it comes with all sorts of new rules and opportunities. Instead of contributing to tax-deferred plans that reduce your taxes, you'll start tapping those savings for income and paying taxes at your regular rate. So. As you near retirement, tax planning becomes more important than ever, but you must use a forward-thinking tax strategy. 